Welcome to our next episode of FRT, the podcast at the intersection of finance, regulation, and technology. This is Conan French, Senior Advisor for Digital Finance at the IF. In this episode, we're joined by Beth Ryan, who's a leading global expert in financial inclusion and currently Managing Director of the Center for Financial Inclusion at Axion. We're also joined by Amin Kairi, who's our Policy Advisor for Financial Inclusion here at the IF. And today we're going to preview an upcoming paper, Charting the Customer Journey in the Digital Age. Mobile and digital technologies have really transformed the way people gather information, make decisions, and access many of the products and services that they value across the economy. And this is no exception for lower income segments and emerging markets and emerging economies. It's really been a consistent global phenomenon. As this transforms how financial services are discovered and accessed, it's also really important, I think, for us to look at how this is uh, changing or impacting the landscape for financial inclusion. So that's what we've dove into in this report. So, I mean, can you give us a little more of the, the background and the focus on why it's important that the customer journey is being digitized? Yes, thank you, uh, Conan. So, when we uh, set out to write this research report, we really wanted to focus on what the benefits of digitizing customer journeys are compared to analog customer journeys. And we found that uh, two main positives for digitizing customer journeys are lowering operational costs for financial institutions. And the second one, and the more important one, is really getting customers more engaged in low-income segment customers. And this helps financial institutions create more sustainable business models. And one of the financial institutions we interviewed, a DBS bank, a leading digital bank, really highlights the impact of these two points. For DBS bank, their digital customers who are basically defined as customers who do more than half of their transactions online, usually get more revenue than the normal or analog customers they have. They also represent two thirds of their gross profits and have a cost to income ratio of 34% compared to analog customers of 55%. They also impressively have an ROE of 27%. So these figures really highlight that digital customer journeys are a good way of creating a good sustainable business model and could help financial institutions to really target low-income segments. So if I can just jump in here and and, and augment, build on that, when you look at the low-income people who were previously just not profitable to serve, that this reduction in cost that that Amin just talked about kind of captures a whole new level of uh, segment of the population that are now becoming profitable enough to serve. So that's a huge financial inclusion boost. And just on the customer side, when you think about the way that the really low-income people have had access or lack of access to financial services, often they've had to travel a long distance to get to services. When they're leaving their jobs or leaving their fields or leaving their small businesses behind in order to transact, and that's really expensive for them. So the new digital customer journeys can be done anywhere, anytime through mobile phones, and that's for them a huge cost savings and time savings. And that's a really powerful transformation, both for the customer, which is, of course, really important, and then also, as you said, for the sustainability of the business model, you know, changing the equation so that it worked in a scalable and sustainable way, serve these customer bases. That's some great examples once we have the customer. I think you've also found some good examples of how moving to digital, mobile, and other platforms have transformed how people discover and become aware of or connected to these organizations so that they can access these lower cost, better products and services. Yeah, that's correct. So in our research, we basically looked at three stages of the customer journey. 
we looked at the pre-onboarding stage, the onboarding stage, and then the active usage stage after the customer has been onboarded. And we found several very interesting examples. So with the pre-onboarding stage, most important aspect is creating awareness, really educating the customer and helping them choose and evaluate the right products and services especially when it comes to low-income segments. And one of the banks, Finca Microfinance Bank in Pakistan, stood out with their Simpson mobile wallet. They use flash mobs and use social media to attract a big number of customers. And they, they basically highlight activities that different merchants that are accepting as Simpson wallets. And this really creates foot traffic and helps Finca employees to really educate the customers when they're at these events on what best products to use and what to choose for their financial planning needs. And that's a powerful example of blending the digital with the, the physical. So you've got the, the physical footprint that they've built, um, but really leveraging how people connect and communicate with each other. And, you know, digital platforms, flash mobs, social media as a new way to help people understand, discover, and learn about the financial services that they're offering. Are there any other you know, points on the customer interaction that you've yes, found? Yes, definitely. So during the onboarding stage, we looked at banks such as Ambank and Arajhi Bank. There are two leading banks that do electronic KYC processes. So Ambank is Poland's fourth largest bank, and it's a leading digital bank. They partnered up with a fintech called LifeBank, which uses video chats, optical character recognition, biometric identification, and digital signatures. And their system is actually connected to Poland's e-government portal. And this really enables the customer to easily onboard in a seamless manner that takes a couple of minutes compared to days or even weeks at certain institutions. Arashi Bank does something similar. Their system is connected to the national ID system in Saudi Arabia and the credit bureau over there. So what a customer does, all he needs to do is call a bank, provide their ID. Uh, the bank provides a username and a password and a verified OTP, which is sent to the phone. And all the customer needs to do is go to a kiosk, which is located nearby and confirm his, his identity through biometric identification. And this is where he obtains his debit cards um, in a matter of days. I think that example really highlights some of the power of these digital platforms to deliver very high quality, latest cutting edge services consistently across different customer segments, focal points. So the lower income customers who might not have had access to a, a branch or you know, high quality financial service provider nearby or in the neighborhood, you know, now everybody has access through their mobile device to the same you know, high quality, latest onboarding, convenient 24 seven remote, EKYC, and it really opens up equal access to consistent mainstream financial services for all. Beth, did you have any? Yeah, I have a couple points. One is is just, you know, not all countries have gotten up to that level to be able to have that kind of experience that you just described. And we're finding that the countries that are really making it the easiest for financial institutions to onboard are those with a good national ID program. And so having a very clear, very simple to use national ID that's easily connected electronically is probably the most important thing it can happen. I mean, there's a lot of work on eKYC, tiered KYC. That's important. It can get kind of complicated, but the, the national programs for identification kind of underlie that. And that's a really important development that we'll be digging into in future work and probably future episodes as well as the future of digital identity and how are these developments providing a solid foundation for uh, next generation financial services. 
So Beth, as we maybe get ready to pivot here to what some of the key takeaways that you've seen in from this report, I was wondering if you could run through some of the messages. You know, you I think just highlighted one there, which is get a good EKYC and identity regime in place in a national market. But what are some of the other key takeaways that we'd like to highlight for our readers? Well, I think maybe an overall kind of takeaway is is that the lower income segment, it's different to bring on board than it is to transition an existing segment from analog to digital. Because the, the lower income segment may have additional needs that are not necessarily foreseen. Their lives, their financial lives are different. So it, it is important to take a look at the financial lives and the way that those folks currently conduct their financial transactions. And just digitizing an analog process directly may not be the best strategy. And in some markets, it's also important to take a focus on things like literacy and how can technology well, that's help a good to deal ex- with some of the literacy um, challenges for, right. for onboarding. That's a good example for that. Just to add on Beth's point, I think it's very important to look at the customer journey as a whole. So having mobile wallets, for example, or an online platform or internet banking is not sufficient in itself. You need to digitize the back-end processes as well. So when customers, for example, ask for a loan, they get that in a matter of seconds or minutes because the entire process is digitized instead of having to wait weeks for approval processes, etc. So having artificial intelligence and machine learning in the background to really help credit score the customers using alternative data is a key when trying to create a seamless digital customer journey and really helps the low-income segments not get frustrated when they're banking. Right. So not just opening up that access point, but making sure the entire experience through the entire journey is consistently transformed to meet customer expectations for a digital age. So Beth, are there some other key takeaways or gaps that you see uh, that we really should be focused on and want to highlight for the industry? I really wanted to talk about the tech touch balance. And, you know, a lot of these models assume that you're going to go full tech and therefore there will be no direct interaction. And in some cases that has been a successful model, but especially for lower income people or people who are unfamiliar with banking or new to banking Our research has shown that there's a need for touch at various places. And the places in the customer journey where we found touch to be the most important, the first is in understanding the legitimacy of a service. So people are bombarded with offers over their phone, and they don't know the difference between one that's real and one that's not. So at that early stage, It's important for uh, customers to be able to confirm with a real person that this is really something legitimate. And, of course, banks are in a good position to be able to do that because they already have such a a strong foot. And then on the other end, the other place where they really need touch is when they have a problem. And so we've done a lot of work on how looking at grievance redressal processes and it's great to be able to automate a huge proportion of that because most people that, that want to ask a question, it's a frequently asked question and you can provide an answer in an automated way or you can use a chatbot. But ultimately, there needs to be some kind of a, of a human being somewhere in the process that people can ultimately get to. That's what we heard from customers. And I think that that's consistent you know, across markets and across customer segments. So if you look at two of the leading tech firms in the world, Apple and Amazon, 
You know, Apple, of course, famously has genius bars to get that tech touch combo right. And Amazon is now opening up discovery stores for the same things to help people find, identify, discover, ask questions, solve problems um, and address issues. And then to your other points, you know, cutting through fraud and cutting through all of the the noise that people hear in the markets, you know, that's another reason why um, this tech touch blend, I think, is important. I mean, I think you had some other thoughts on this topic as well. Yes, I mean, I agree with uh, Beth on this point, especially when it comes to the grievances. I have a good example from our research, which was the DBS Bank. They use our artificial intelligence platform called Casistu to handle inquiries and grievances and give advice to customers. They have over a million users and they handle around 82% of the inquiries, these chatbots. But back to Beth's point, the remainder of the customers who don't get their inquiries handled by chatbots, they are referred to humans or bank representatives who can really address the problems and grievances of these customers. Are there any other remaining takeaways or, or gaps that we want to highlight? Yeah, I wanted to talk about the user experience and user interface. So if you're talking about um, shifting from an analog to a digital-based user interface. A lot of times, the idea in designing those interfaces is just get the job done, make it easy. But in fact, what you're doing is substituting for a human relationship, which has emotions connected to it, and uh, it doesn't necessarily always go on a straight line. And so I think there's a big opportunity to reimagine that customer interface while somebody's actually using the product and to think about ways to support the the customer's financial capability while doing that. And an example, which we always cite this example, we love it, is Juntos, which is a company that partners with financial institutions to carry out an SMS-based dialogue to promote the more active use of savings accounts and other products, but savings accounts is maybe their main one. And, you know, they get very friendly. They use a lot of machine learning, artificial intelligence to make their interactions personal. And that really gets a response. So you can do things like remind people your payment's due tomorrow. Or you set a savings goal. How are you doing on that goal? And do it in a way that speaks to them and doesn't feel like a machine. And that, you know, we, we actually had an earlier report where we really dove into that and what is the future of um, financial uh, literacy training and, and coaching and found that really using these platforms to their full power so that you can try and provide some training and information when people are at the decision point or really focused uh, on making that decision. So Juntos, for instance, having a two-way dialogue platform, I think, is a, a really um, powerful example. And it's also a good example of really taking an opportunity to rethink rather than just transferring today's product and services into a digital form, really rethinking how can you meet the core customer need in a more transformative way. And so that's a trend that we see consistent with our leading institutions around the world is really taking that rethink. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about some of the challenges involved in getting there. And Amin already talked about some of them, but the staffing and talent challenges of making that transformation are so big, especially in developing countries, the the data analytics capability, the ability to work with AI and machine learning, they're scarce talents. And so that's been one of the constraints that so many institutions have faced. And another aspect of that is really rethinking their traditional frontline staff who have to evolve into a really different kind of role. So I think these are two of the biggest challenges facing 
And that's an especially big challenge in markets where people couldn't leverage the capabilities of cloud service provider to help them transform into uh, some of these new digital platforms and need to you know, think about trying to build it um, themselves, which is, again, just much more of a challenge than if you could leverage a third party and, and a cloud service um, for that transformation. Thank you, Beth and Amin, for a great conversation. And listeners, please keep your eye out for this paper that we'll publish in the coming weeks on the IF website. Also, keep tuning into FRT because in the upcoming weeks, we'll have some exciting new episodes to share. We'll have an episode with key takeaways from our IF Roundtable and New Data Ecosystems in Paris. And Brad Carr will be speaking with Ben Davey, head of Barclays UK Ventures, about bank partnerships with fintech firms. 